following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for April 14th, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young and I'm fired up. Oh, I'm fired up. I'm cheesed off. I got a lot to say about the FDA pausing the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. A lot to say about it because I think spoiler alert, it's very bad. And I'm willing to have somebody come and tell me that I'm wrong after this. And maybe I'm being a little emotional about it, but everything that I feel like I've got a handle on after a year of focusing on one issue tells me that this is very bad on a lot of different levels. And I'm going to detail them. We're also going to welcome on J.D. Durkin of Cheddar. He's going to lay out what the pathway forward in Congress is, specifically on infrastructure and all of the issues that will lead up to 2022. And yes, I ask him, is AOC going to primary Chuck Schumer? Find out his answer. We do have uh, breaking news here. The officer involved in the shooting of Dante Wright in Minnesota has resigned along with the police chief. Of course, Dante Wright was a 20-year-old black man in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Wright was 20 years old. And, uh, you know, with all the, the rioting and looting that happened there, over the last few days, uh, providing the backdrop for the Derek Chauvin trial, uh, resolving the murder of George Floyd. A lot going on. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that, that issues like this are, are not going to go away. I do wonder uh, what it means for the officer to resign in terms of uh, her representation from the police union and whether or not that makes her uh, liable to any kind of lawsuits. But those are the things that we are going to find out over the next weeks and months. No good way to transition out of that. But first... I dunked so hard on the EU for pausing that AstraZeneca vaccine. Mmm. How awful it was assuredly going to be for vaccine adoption in that continent that had been hurt so bad already. 
how hard it would be to regain the trust of people that wanted it, let alone the vaccine skeptical or outright abstainers. Well, penthouse forum, I never thought it would happen to me. An immediate pause in the use of the Johnson & Johnson single-dose coronavirus vaccine. This is after six recipients in the United States developed a rare disorder involving blood clots within about two weeks of the vaccination. Joining us now is Dr. Carlos Del Six Rio, women develop blood clots within two weeks of getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's out of 6.8 million doses administered. So one out of 1,133,333 people that got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, including yours truly, including my wife, including Brian Brushwood, my co-host on Night Attack, who you've heard on this podcast for the last four weeks, and six women developed blood clots. That is a very, very, very small sample size. Depending on how you want to slice those numbers, it was more dangerous to get in their car to drive to the place where the vaccine was administered than the statistical likelihood of those blood clots developing. To put this in contrast, birth control pills are known to give one to five in every 10,000 women blood clots. Let's say that half of the Johnson & Johnson shots already administered were to women. That means that one in roughly 500,000 women have experienced those side effects. In this moment, is the damage that is currently and irreversibly done to the process of vaccine adoption worth it? This is national news that will dent the muscular daily rollout of two to four million vaccine doses per day because we're going to take out the J&J &J vaccine. And it also bolsters the idea that these vaccines were rushed through development and are unsafe. This could not be further from the truth. We've said from the very, very beginning that these vaccines got more of a clinical trial than any vaccine previously would. And you only find these kinds of side effects, edge case side effects. And if they were anything other than edge case, then they would be in more than single digits. You only find this when you administer millions of these shots. Make no mistake, friends, we are in, globally, a race against the variants of COVID-19. And the U.S. has been very good so far. And you know we've been very good because you can see the pockets where regionally it has cotton hold including in Michigan, which is currently on fire in terms of COVID infections. 
I just, and I'm not a doctor, man. I, I, I'm, I'm a guy who talks into a, a microphone and sends it out to the internet. I've spent the last 48 hours hanging sheets in my closet so I can make my sound better for this bizarre occupation that I have. I'm not a medical professional. I'm a professional jackass. But if I... The idiot on the side of the road has to ask why, though. I would ask it like this. Was a full national pause warranted? Why not new guidelines, restrictions on gender on a temporary basis? Sure, those things would have maybe shaken confidence in the vaccine, but at least it would have signaled that there, at least on the data now, seems to be a very certain subsection of, of, of the population that in extreme edge cases is vulnerable. Not the entire reputation of this literal miracle drug. And what's worse, what's worse if people don't get the vaccine because they're worried about it, they're more likely to get blood clots. The reason why we are pausing it, at least likely, COVID might be a greater risk of blood clotting. A 2020 study from UC San Diego showed that 20% of hospitalized COVID patients also developed blood clots. So the abundance of precaution that we are putting into place right now could literally be doing more harm than good. There is a cost to the pause. The narrative that we were all gearing up for this week is the coming quote-unquote vaccine wall. The event horizon where demand for the vaccine falls under the supply that we have. Put simply, it's when we have open slots to get a vaccine and the only people who haven't gotten it don't want it. Does the lack of faith in vaccines caused by this announcement mean that we have voluntarily gone face first into that wall before we had to? We've already seen a lag in vaccine adoption in red states where vaccine hesitancy is more prevalent. But don't worry. Don't worry. The White House has a plan. Roundtable. Uh, we're also looking for, we've run PSAs on the deadliest catch. We're engaged with NASCAR and country music TV. We're looking for a range of creative ways to get directly connected to white conservative communities. We won't always be the best messengers, but we're still trying to meet people well, where they are. Well, somebody called the intern that buys more deadliest catch ads. And guys, it's 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 not just rural communities and the vaccine hesitant that are affected. What about the real heroes, huh? What about the journalists? <laughs> journalists who really, really, really want the vaccine and were scheduled to get one hours after the FDA made their announcement and then got an email saying that their opportunity to get vaccinated was 
canceled. Journalists like our old friend Dan Newhauser, the man who witnessed Tom Steyer and Juvenile on stage during the 2020 primary. Uh, Dan, I'm sorry I didn't contact you on the anniversary so we could commemorate the occasion. Oh my God. We need to get together every year from now on and, you know, work or I don't know. Yeah. Whatever, whatever Tom Steyer did, we'll, 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 we'll we'll study the tape and we'll commemorate, we'll we'll commemorate it each and every year. Uh, But I I contacted you because you were on Twitter saying today was the day you were going to get not just a vaccine, but the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna. I'm, I was scheduled to to get it around noon today uh, at Howard University. I was pretty excited about it. Not as excited as my mom, but I was pretty <laughs> excited about it. And you know, she's been texting me every day. Okay, did you get it yet? Did you get it yet? I'm saying, Mom, I'm going on Tuesday. I already told you. So now I'm gonna have to give her some disappointing news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so where where has your vaccine journey been? Were, were you one of the folks that was just a uh, uh, spamming all the sites and trying to find any any appointment that you could? Were you sort of waiting until things became more widely available? I pre-registered here. I don't know how they're doing it uh, where you are, but here in DC, it's been really slow coming and frustrating. Uh, situation, to be honest. Um, and so, uh, so I've been, you know, I pre-registered and I, I registered as a media and we were in a, the tier that was just opened up uh, at the end of March, early April. And so this week really seems like the first week where we're seeing, um, you know, a flood of vaccinations happening around here. A lot more of, uh, you know, people that I know are getting vaccinated, certainly a, a lot more people in the media I was I was a little bit worried um, just as a freelance reporter whether that would you know impact it that would yeah well it would allow me to be considered essential media because who deems me essential I mean I think I'm pretty essential to my own you know work career <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah and financial you know ability to to earn money um, but but yeah no, I you know I didn't I wasn't uh, you know, uh, going crazy, trying to find a place. I, I was just, you know, I, I pre-registered and I was waiting for them to contact me. And then, you know, this last week it really happened. So, um, you know, I figured getting the J and J would be, you know, good. Cause you only have to get one shot and, and you're done. And, you know, I know, I know there were some drawbacks as far as, um, you know, it being like a less, less effective. Um, but, uh, but I figured, you know, the cost benefit of, of that and just, you know, being being pretty busy these days and just getting the one would be uh better for me and because I mean, uh, it is it is in terms of a spin-up it, it's 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 a a better lead time because if you just get the one because I, I got the johnson and johnson one and and you know in two weeks you're according to the cdc about as ready as you're going to be in terms of making antibodies as opposed to the month or I guess, yeah, month that you would take with one of the two stage shots where it's got to be two weeks after the final shot. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it just seemed like a simpler process. Uh, and, uh, it was here at Howard U, which is not too far from my, my, my place. So, you know, just like all those kind of factors came together and it, and it, um, made sense. Uh, but I guess I just kind of like, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, let's, if this thing, if, if what the FDA and the CDC is saying is true, then, then of course I'm glad I didn't get a shot that's going to give me, you know, debilitating blood clots. 
but uh, but the fact that this happened like the morning of when I'm supposed to get my shot, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a bit jarring either way. You know, either they saved me or they're causing me a minor headache and I'm going to have to go get a different vaccine or just wait it out and see what happens. I guess that's the thing that really sort of bothers me is, is that we're in that binary situation where when it's six people out of 6.8 million, you know, statistically and, and all we've paid attention to throughout this process is statistics, rate of infection, rate of hospitaliza- hospitalization. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I really even just kind of wince at, at, at somebody like like you, who I know is is uh, uh, just looking out for for the best, and you you analyze information for a living. That that we're even mm-hmm. in a situation where it's like, oh wait, did they save you? Like, or is this just like you know, <laughs> a, a, out of an abundance of caution? Because theoretically, right. I mean, statistically, you're more likely to get hit by a car while we're speaking on on the phone than have a blood clot from a Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Okay, well now that you mentioned, I'm going to get out of the street. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it does. You wonder. It seems a little bit overly cautious. Um, I, when I tweeted you know, first, uh, you know, that, that I was going to get the shot today at noon, what should I do? And people were like, just go get it anyway. It's, you know, this is, a uh, an incredibly low rate of people who are suffering these kinds of consequences. One person said, you know, you're not a, you're, you're not a, a woman under 50, so don't worry about it. And, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't really been keeping up on, uh, on, on what exactly, like who, who is falling it, it is, these, it, it, uh, it is all, all six of the blood clot cases were women. So, uh, there, there is, okay. there is at least, uh, uh, evidence to say that, that, that is part of whatever, a very rare, but emerging trend that they are seeing. Right. Well, I, I mean, I guess, I guess I was just going to go do it anyway. Yeah. Um, just because the risk seems so so low. Um, but you know, the decision was made for me and, uh, the city's health department emailed and, and said that they canceled the appointments. Uh, and I mean, uh, you know, not just for me, but for other people who were probably getting these appointments all week. Uh, I mean, think about how the people who got them yesterday are feeling. Think, or think about the people who are supposed to get them tomorrow and the day after that are feeling it's incredibly confusing and disconcerting situation all around and just kind of adds to the show nature of this whole, this whole damn virus this whole period <laughs> in history. Well, and, and I guess that's, that's the crazy thing is that you were in a situation where you had already, you were eligible since the beginning of the month. As we speak, it is the 13th day of that month. And you, and you finally were, mm-hmm. were set to get your shot. Now you get mm-hmm. a cancellation. I, I presume in that cancellation, you didn't get a like, any kind of follow-up like, Hey, hit us up here or, or we'll get you a Pfizer shot or a Moderna shot or, uh, or anything. No, it's actually, just sort of like, the email. <laughs> actually the email literally says, don't contact back this email address. Nobody's monitoring this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally just like, oh, like, uh, uh, sorry, little buddy. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess exactly. get back in the hopper back in the line. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to just figure this out myself. Uh, a former colleague of mine, actually, who had also gotten the vaccine at Howard said, you know, call this number. They're the ones who are administering. It's like the Howard Health Service and see if you can maybe get on the schedule for a different 
you know, a different one. Maybe I'll go back through my inbox and check the original link that yeah. I got where I signed up for the vaccine in the first place and try to sign up for another one or just sit tight and await further instructions. I mean, honestly, this is also so fresh. I mean, it literally just happened. I haven't had time to think about what I'm going to do next to process uh, it. Yeah. I mean, I literally, I literally got the cancellation like five minutes before you called me. So, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I think it, I think, I think, I think it kind of just underscores the, the confusion that's coming out of this and, and you know, the, the fact that this hit so suddenly, you know, during the, the press briefing yesterday, there was no mention or the, of any kind of hesitation or, or any kind of impending announcement. You have to wonder if, if the fact that this is so jarring is its own sort of a, a blow to public confidence because it looks like the government just yanked the emergency cord on the bus or, or, or the train to hit the brakes. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's an inclination when something like this happens to, to give a little bit of benefit of the doubt to, you know, groups like the FDA and the CDC. And kind of, you wonder, well, what do they know that we don't know? Like, we know about six reported cases. Yeah. You know, they must know about something more or maybe they know about, you know, something specific about those six cases that, you know, would, would lead them to make such an extraordinary decision. Uh, but you know, we can't know what we don't know. Uh, we're just left guessing. Uh, I'll be, I I will be very interested to see, uh, more information that comes out about this, Uh, you know, obviously just as a, as a journalist, but also as someone who's now been personally (laughs) directly, directly impacted by it, because (laughs) now you got to scramble to see what you can get. Well, uh, uh, in New York state, they are replacing everybody who had an appointment with Johnson and Johnson with a Pfizer vaccine. So, Hopefully okay. there is there is some kind of email forthcoming to you in in the next uh, uh, half hour. And, and and again, I don't want to impugn the folks that are are distributing vaccines in D.C. For all we know, thank Dan was nice enough to come on with us immediately after getting his email. So for all we know, <laughs> yeah. ten minutes later he could get another email and all this could be sorted out. And if it is, we'll make sure we put it in the podcast. But it, it is it is at least for this moment. And possibly moments further, a disorienting process. Yeah. And I mean, what am I going to do? I, mean, I had uh, brand loyalty to Procter & Gamble. You know, I mean, my my <laughs> uncle worked for P&G, P&G for uh, many, many years. And the only stock I've ever owned was the, the P&G stock he gave me for my bar mitzvah. Uh, like the all two of them. So, so there you know, we go. I was looking forward to being a, a P&G J&J man. But I guess a company I guess man. Yeah, I'm going to have to head over to Pfizer or something. That's really the most jarring thing about all of this. You want to know what? All politics are local, Dan. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you've illustrated that. Uh, well, well, uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, I, I, I hope you get vaxxed, uh, uh, very soon. I'll keep you posted. So what's next for Johnson and Johnson? The Biden administration is bracing for a week-long review. That means that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be out of circulation for at least a week. Past that, we can probably look across the pond for a preview. After pausing their AstraZeneca vaccine, many European countries have halted giving AstraZeneca to people under 60 to mitigate that risk. This is... More bad news in the U.S. if Johnson & Johnson is doomed to the same fate. 
the U.S. is a big country. And the people who don't own cars but would like to get the shot are usually in rural areas. Areas that are better served by the J&J shot, which doesn't require specific refrigeration like the Pfizer and Moderna shots do. The White House has said that they're working nationally to get everyone scheduled to receive a J&J shot, rescheduled to get Pfizer and Moderna. So hopefully Dan and his mom, hi Dan's mom, are happy pretty soon. I just have to ask one more time. Why though? All right. I'm not going to lie. Things were getting a little scary for a minute. After the election, we saw a pretty steady erosion of support on TakePoliticsSeriously.com, the engine that financially powers this entire program. And And I get it. The last four years were very intense and 2020 was something that could burn out even the most seasoned politics watcher but month after month we were kind of eroding and eroding and eroding and and all the exit surveys were very nice very rarely was somebody mean they were just like hey look i'm 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 burnt out i don't i don't have money obviously the pandemic took its toll but april ah april is a month of renewal. It's early, but it seems like we've turned the tide a little bit. We've stopped the bleeding in terms of the support. So more people are joining than are leaving. And I'm very, very, very new homeowner level relieved to see it. I would ask you to be a part of it. Treat yourself to double the PX3 content per week. A bonus show Monday, a bonus show Thursday. That's 104 bonus podcasts if you are subscribed for a year. All delivered to the podcatcher of your choice using a custom RSS feed that you enter into your podcatcher once. Never worry about a username. Never worry about a password. Thank you to everybody who has stuck with us. 2021 is going to be an amazing year for the show, and it is all because you guys made it exactly that. We're traveling this year. We're going to cover anything that needs to be covered, and we are going to gear up for 2022 a hell of a midterm. Head on over right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level to get your bonus content. All right. Enough totally unqualified medical editorializing. Let's segue seamlessly into some semi-qualified congressional editorializing. Get in, loser. We're making laws. The House and Senate are back in business this week, and they've got one massive priority from the White House. Pass the infrastructure bill. But what's the pathway to do it? 
who are the power players. What 2022 races are going to shape how this works now and going forward? Well, I might only have half a brain, but our guest is somebody that covers this day in and day out from Washington, D.C. We bring in Cheddar's man in Congress, J.D. Durkin. Welcome to the show, J.D. Good to be with you, brother. Thank you for having me back as always. Congress is back this week. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the, the the main beat that you cover there for Cheddar. So let's talk about where the roadmap is on the, the, the new big thing. Well, actually, here, hold on. Let, let's start with a, a, a preamble. The, the, the roadmap, pun intended. Exactly, right? The, the roadmap to the road uh, bill uh, we, we will get to. I want to actually ask you this first, though. The, sure. the Democrats shoot the gap and get reconciliation for their big COVID bill through, the one that they wouldn't have been able to do unless they won Georgia, that they couldn't budge the Trump administration or the McConnell-led Senate on, at least in terms of having a price tag as big as $1.9 trillion. They get it through, but it, it seemed like what both Congress and the White House wanted to do over the last few weeks is to really take a victory lap on this. And specifically, while everybody from Capitol Hill was back in their district, and yet that didn't seem to happen. It, do you think that that's going to cost them in the long run, that they weren't really able to hammer home what this $1.9 trillion does for you, the average American? You know, I, it's funny, man. That was really, I feel like this administration came into office and just said, man, there are learned lessons that we did not get right when President Obama was here in terms of the optics and the messaging. And, and one thing I remember really well about President Obama was that he really seemed to be someone who was very, very acutely aware of the counter messaging specifically on Fox News and how these yeah. things were sort of being disseminated to tens of millions of Americans who turn in now to who tune into the the Tuckers and the Laura Ingrams and the Hannity's and the, and the world. And so I think that was sort of a bit of the goal. And you're right. It was it was a bit surely lived. Right? I mean, they, they did kind of put on this road show to kind of tout the covid plan. And that includes, you know, everyone from the president to second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, and, and trying to send them specifically to places like Nevada and some of these swing states. Um, I think that may be, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are many Americans who sort of recognize it and, and have it front and center, but people tend to have short memories and you never know what's going to be their driving force as they head to the polls for 2022. I think speaking of reconciliation, one thing Democrats may do is sort of get another bite at the apple at some point if they do and they try and shore up and, and further strengthen some of those COVID um sort of provisions that they just passed in this last bill, dude, and that's going to give them an opportunity to sort of revisit the work they did. So I would say even if uh, even if they had a big road show and maybe didn't have the whole splash they had to, they're, they are going to be able to at least uh, uh, get the message out on, on COVID relief for, for quite some time. And of course, for Democrats, that means putting equity first. So they're all sort of, I think, even with this infrastructure bill, they're going to have things to look back at to COVID where Hope if you're the, the Democrats, they're going to hope to keep this in conversation for quite some time. My sense is that in terms of the average American, though, as soon as that stimmy check hits, that's pretty much all mm -hmm. you care about. Like like there there that, that, that seems to be at least in terms of the national appetite uh, covid relief equals how much money hit my account. And then once you spend it on a PS5, that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, or uh, or once you you know invest into like GameStop stock for a bit <laughs> exactly. on your Robinhood app and try and jam it through with the latest Reddit meme stock that you're into or AMC or something like that. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean that's kind of part of the reason I think some progressives like the Rokanas of the world have been saying, "Man, if we were smart, we'd be doing this every month. We'd be cutting some version of like yeah. a UBI inspired program." Um, not that Joe Biden is as focused on some of the optics as Donald Trump, right? Because former President Trump would be like, I want my name on the checks. Right? Sure. <laughs> he wants, yeah. He wanted to get that check out there into the pockets of people physically to like see the name Donald Trump. But um, I think that those calls from Democrats will, will still continue, even if parts of the economy are certainly leveling off. And hey, man, like we just heard from Jay Powell, they're, they're expecting a lot of firepower in the economy for a few quarters to come. So that could sort of blunt some of those impacts. But you're right, man. I mean, I think people got those checks and you're kind of waiting to see what else what else can the government do for me after a year of a lot of personal pain that people have been going through. It's it's, it's really rough out there for a lot of families, as I know you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about infrastructure then, because that is the next big thing. And, and when they weren't able to sort of do their full... Uh, dog and pony show to to promote the the covid bill it, it seemed like the next pivot was to infrastructure you've got the new golden boy pete buddha judge secretary pete out there uh, uh touting a lot of it but it seems like some of the lessons learned on the congressional side from the covid bill are being applied now a little bit earlier. And let's start with this. The most powerful man on Capitol Hill is Joe Manchin because he seems very eager to direct uh, where this bill is going to go because all 50 Democrats have to stay on the same team. But I wonder, you know, anybody else can learn this same lesson. There's no there's nothing special about Joe Manchin except for the idea that he's willing to say he won't vote for something. How far can this bill get pared down before some of the progressives stand up and say, no, we won't vote for it? I, it's funny, man. I mean, the, the running joke here in Washington is that the town's most powerful Joe is not Joe Biden. It's just Joe Manchin because, I mean, he's sitting out here and, and he he expressed that that skepticism or, or that unwillingness to play ball through parts of COVID-19. And I think there's a bit of a question, will he kind of balk at passing such a big bill now in terms of this infrastructure package? through reconciliation um i'm always thinking man there was some really funny meme that went out after after democrats won georgia and they said you know here here's a photo of what west virginia is going to look like when joe manchin's through negotiating the next congress and it's like the futuristic city from fifth element of just flying cars in future right because this dude could just he's got so much say so much power at the table he's gonna make he's Um, gonna make west virginia look like wakanda like like it's going to be it's going to be gleaming and and he's doing it now. Right. And so I don't know if it's a little bit of a of a bluff, but, you know, he says, well, you know, I'm not going to back the corporate tax rate hike to 28. You know, the debate right now. Is, OK, how are you going to pay for it? All right. All right. Sure. Two trillion dollar to four trillion dollar bill, whatever. And let's and let's yeah, let's 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 let's, yeah. let, 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 let's let's make sure we lay out exactly what the initial plan is. It's a two trillion dollar phase one bill. Right. And then another two trillion dollars in another bill. And like you said, the question is, okay, well, and this is the problem with infrastructure is how much are you packing in there and how are you going to pay for it? Uh, uh, the idea from the Biden administration is a 28% corporate tax rate. And Joe Manchin says, absolutely not. Uh, you don't have my vote at that number. 
Is that right? Yeah, he he yes, exactly. And Manchin says, well, I could back something that's closer to 25%. Mind you, if we were having this conversation just like four years ago, corporate tax rate was above 30%. I mean, that's when Donald, right? Donald Trump came into office here. This is the Paul Ryan, McConnell, Trump triumvirate there. They yeah. came through that trifecta. They lowered it from 35 all the way down to 21. And I think the approach from the Biden White House is like, all right, well, we're not going to go all the way back to 35. We could be reasonable and settle at 28, right? And Joe Manchin's like, no, I won't even play ball with you at 28. It's got to be 25. So that's, I think, puts him more in line in, in, in thinking with a lot of these other sort of Republicans that are going to say the package needs to be smaller. The package has to be more targeted. Some of those grievances may be legit, but I think a lot of them are just based in the broader political theater of the day where Republicans don't want to be seen as giving Democrats a big win on something. So the, you know, the mansion conundrum, uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema in Arizona is in a similar bag, right? These are lawmakers that have said, basically stop asking me about the filibuster. Yeah. 60 votes is going to continue to be the name of the game. Yeah. Don't come to me with this 50 plus one nonsense. I don't want to hear it. And it's going to continue to give them outsized influence at the negotiating table. But Hey, you'll realize though, President Biden just had this first big bipartisan, bicameral meeting at the White House. Joe Manchin was not there. That was not the focus. It's these other lawmakers, many of whom are not household names, that have gotten work done on infrastructure in the past. It's pretty telling to me that those are some of the names that the White House focused on. And, and for now, Joe Manchin has not been front and center, but I, I know they'll, they'll have those conversations soon. The name Elizabeth McDonough has become, at least on this podcast, something that has been said far more times than I would have ever guessed. Uh, uh, with no disrespect to the hard work that you do in covering our congressional representatives, prior to this session, did you know the name of the Senate parliamentarian? Uh, if you had to truly ask me before the Georgia election, I... I Probably would have given you like two or three names. I was like, I think McDonough's in there, uh, but not with a large degree of specificity off the top of my head, if I had to be honest. No, but you're right. It's like one of these uh, just unelected, nonpartisan sort of interpreter of the broader rules of the high chamber and gets gets thrust to the front of, of the spotlight for good or bad. And she may be there for, for quite some time. So let me ask you this, because Schumer went to the parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, and asked whether or not in this calendar year, the Democrats would be able to run another bill through reconciliation. The actual ruling is in the hands of Schumer and the Senate Republicans. Schumer says that he's able to. The Republicans seem to say that. Well, yes, but it's not that simple. And to my knowledge, nobody's seen the actual ruling. What is the latest as of today on exactly what that says and what the Democrats are going to have to do? Do we know? I, I believe you're right that we, we still don't really know. And that's why there was so much skepticism for Chuck Schumer to kind of come out and say, hey, folks, we're going to we're basically going to get between now and the midterms three bites, not two. He says yeah. we're going th we got three bites of the budget reconciliation apple. And I think a lot of people in town were like, wait, what, really? For that's real? What, that's what you've been told? That's the interpretation here now that you've been told? And so I think, obviously, there's going to be a lot of spin. There's an advantage for, for Leader Schumer to like inject that into the headlines for a number of reasons. First of all, it really kind of allows them to kind of, you know, kind of stir up this momentum for what else they could do with another bite of the apple, whatever. Um, I, I think the, the details still very much remain to be seen. I think the skepticism from some Senate Republicans was and Senate Republican staffers was 
was warranted. Um, there's always going to be spin. And as you know, man, there's a big media game. There's a big advantage Chuck Schumer has as the Senate majority leader to sort of float those things out there. Um, large in part, they want to put they want to have voters sort of pressure lawmakers to back things down the stretch. But um, obviously, I think, you know, the McDonough thing is still a little bit of a of a little salt in the wound, that name for progressives that lost the battle over the fight for 15 in the last bill, the $15 yep. federal minimum wage. And, um, you know, people like the, you know, Ilhan Omar's of the world are saying we cannot basically be held hostage uh, as a result of this unelected figure. Um, she may be acting in good faith, but she's she's significantly stopping the progress on behalf of the people. Those calls are only going to continue. I think it's a really tough position for McDonough to be in. So let me get to the progressive rage. And I, I will I will ask you uh, uh, again, is there a point where maybe it's a Bernie Sanders uh, says, no, 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 no. I got a machine gun now. Joe Manchin isn't the only person that can hold this thing hostage. I can hold it hostage, too. This is getting way too pared down. We are we are not getting what the progressives uh, uh, thought they were in a Biden White House. I want all this money to go to these programs. So now I'm going to be the one that that gums up the wheels. Do we have any sense that that we're close to that? Um, not, not particularly from from what I've gathered, but uh, obviously Senator Sanders in a unique position here, this particular Congress. And, and if that's something that they end up doing because they're frustrated, either be, either because they didn't get that. Uh, that that federal minimum wage provision in the last bill or because they feel like they're not being heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, they would absolutely be be in their power to sort of cause as many headaches, perhaps, as possible from the Biden White House. One thing you certainly know, this has not been a caucus of progressive Democrats that has been afraid to call out Joe Biden or call out the sort of rank and file members of their party wherever they see fit. And things are going to get more desperate for Democrats, I think, to some degree, as we inch closer to the midterms. And so could I see something like a, a progressive, like a, a Senator Sanders here, sort of basically pull that Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema card and say, you know, enough is enough. Now I'm withholding my vote until you make concessions on ours. Could absolutely happen. Um, I think that would be a, an additional headache for the for the White House yeah. to, to work its way through saying we don't want to battle members of our own party. We don't want to battle the leftward flank. We don't want to battle at all. Um, but it's going to get messy and Democrats are going to sense that their backs are up against them. They got a shot clock here. Because for good or for bad, the census Democrats are very well going to lose control of Congress for next year's midterm. So that limits the number of months that you have to get some, a lot of these things done. Let's pivot to that, because not only do they have a sense that if we follow historical trends that the party in power, especially if they control the White House and both houses of Congress, loses that power in the first midterms. But also, Nancy Pelosi is not working with a tremendous majority right now. I believe it's six seats as of uh, uh, when we are speaking now. And they've got seats in uh, uh, districts that might lose in 2022 that they need to defend. Is the, uh, you know, the, the same kind of machine that Pelosi had a year ago where she could get stuff through the House that is, you know, probably at a far higher price tag than the Senate has a stomach for. Is that even still there or does Nancy Pelosi have to play a more conservative game? She she's got. Well, it's hey, a conservative. Yes. But by conservative, strangely, sometimes I think that's going to mean more progressive. So different definitions of the word conservative there, okay. because, you know, if you look at. Right. So so right now, I think it's six or seven, whatever it is, the, the vote differential in the House. I think there's six House vacancies. 
Obviously, the caucus lost a couple members with regards to people like Representative Fudge and others joining the administration. But, you know, if I think by my uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's nine members of the Justice Democrats now in the House. Um, that includes people like Marie Newman and, and Ro Khanna. And if there's some some issue where they all sort of band together and say, well, we're not going to back it. That's it. You lost your numbers in the House right there. So that number is so slim. So, yes, I, I would argue it's it needs to be much more of a. Uh, conservative, not political conservative, but a sort of safer route here for Speaker Pelosi, for people like Steny Hoyer and, and Hakeem Jeffries about how they thread this needle. Man, I've covered the last few Congresses with, with these names, and it's been tough enough for them to thread the needle with the outsized attention that the progressive voices have gotten. But um, I think they're really going to be there. The Justice Democrats added to their numbers this last Congress yeah. for all the you know sort of inner turmoil um, controversy for some of their members. Um, and so I think they they are looking at a lot of these basic progressive issues and they're saying the American people are on our side. We need to be listened to. Um, but it, it, it's tough, though, for Democrats, man, head into next year's uh, election. I mean, I think if you ask 10 people in Washington, at least, you know, eight or nine of the 10 will tell you Democrats lose the House. So that's fascinating. I, I hadn't even thought about that, that, that now that the Justice Democrats ranks is greater than the gap that Pelosi has over the Republicans, that means that they really drive the boat. Like they can, if, if they go en masse, uh, that, that, that really just totally takes the engine out of the car. Yeah. And remember some of these names like a Cory Bush or, or Jamal Bowman, uh, who's the former teacher from the Bronx, they beat very long time, very well established Democratic names. I mean, Elliot Engel lost it. The man's been in Congress for decades and he lost to a justice Democrat, which is a, yeah. sort of the newer version of of the Joe Crowley phenomenon for a few years ago. So uh, you're exactly right that that group. And they've been confident, man, from justice Democrat sources and figures and lawmakers I've spoken to the last few years. They always knew that this was the trajectory. They looked at key races like Marie Newman in Illinois and said, you know, maybe we had some stumbles a couple cycles ago. Maybe one of our candidates fell short. But the momentum, the fundraising, the numbers, the demographic, everything is on our side to win those races now. And and they proved that to be correct. Um, and they've already got their sights set on, you know, different races for the future as well. So I, I've always said the Justice Democrats, I think you and I have talked about this before, is sort of a Democratic version of the House Freedom Caucus yeah. on the right. Um, not quite comparable to the numbers, but at least in terms of pulling the party more to the outer sort of flanks that they feel are more representative with where the voters are. And if you and I have a conversation, the next Congress or two Congresses from now and the Justice Democrats are closer to 20 lawmakers in the House, I would not be surprised. Let's cross the aisle because the Republicans, both in the House and the Senate, I think totally were asleep at the wheel uh, uh, <laughs> fighting amongst each other during the COVID bill where, where it was way, way, way late in the process that they even got their messaging together on how to define uh, uh, what was going through. It seems like they're slightly more cohesive, at least in the early going on infrastructure, that they're attacking the the human infrastructure uh, elements of this. That would be more of the social programs. They've, they're, they're wedging uh, uh, Joe Manchin, but... It is undeniable that they are in and, and they have gotten no no better at healing their personality rift between the ye old Republicans that are very excited to turn the page post Trump and the yeehaw Republicans that are very excited to embrace this populist streak. Do, do you have any sense that, that this is something that 
is going to coalesce or they're even able going to going to be able to function as an opposition? Oh man, I mean both car- both both parties love to call themselves big tent, right? They're like, "Oh, we've got yeah, you know, pay pay no attention to the warring voices within our caucus that are going yeah. at it left and right." I mean, literally literally going at it left and right. Pay no attention to that. We're we're far more united than than you would otherwise think. But man, just look at this rift between, you know, the kings and gurs of the world and a lot of these other pro-Trump voices. I mean, the Liz Cheney Matt Gates dynamic itself is something I feel like I could write a 300-page book on. Just yes. in and of itself, like just just the the, the family dynamics, the the the, the Trump um, uh, Cheney relationship here, what we've already seen from why. I mean, it's 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 such a mess, and so I have no idea how that's going to play itself out. And then on top of that, you got these comments from people like former Ambassador Nikki Haley, who who finally gets asked this like sort of 2024 question, and she says. <laughs> Um, you know, if Trump runs, I wouldn't run. And I really wonder how many for or for whom for for how many of these other Republicans is that sort of the calculus? Because you think you're in 2020, you think, OK, the next election is very far away. It's really not. And they're all strategizing and sort of plotting and and determining, you know, who's going to run or, or or what states you prioritize and visiting. And people like Rick Scott have already been to Iowa for events. Right. I mean, you're like you're you're, yeah. you're all but saying the quiet part out loud. So. Those divisions between the Republicans, you know, the Kevin McCarthy's of the world are not going to admit to it on the record. But behind the scenes, all the suggestions, all the reporting really has been that that those divisions are there. And Trump has proven he is going to fight and fight very hard against Republicans that he does not feel have been sufficiently loyal. That's how he governed in Washington. And that's how he's going to govern as the kingmaker for Mar-a-Lago, I think. Which is hilarious that he's going to be the cash cow to raise money for the Senate to keep Mitch McConnell in power, who he hates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, those comments from this this event, you know, call, calling Mitch McConnell this name and that name have been amazing. And and Leader McConnell's the type man, you know, he he, he keeps pretty quiet. He he doesn't take the bait on that stuff. He won't. You know, Republicans or excuse me, reporters on the on the Hill always trying to ask him questions, respond to this, respond to that. He, he sort of he tries to stay above it. But um, it, it's pretty tough to imagine being your second. Imagine being Mitch McConnell, man. You've tried to have this dude's back for years, right? Whether it was trying yeah. to overturn Obamacare, passing tax reform, putting judges on every imaginable bench. McConnell has taken it on the chin. He has done the work for Donald Trump and he is being rewarded with lint. Lint yeah. and insults, and that is that is the current state of some of the two biggest power brokers of the entire GOP. For those that didn't follow with this, and we haven't covered it a lot because uh, I don't care about Trump until he starts affecting and until he gets on the campaign trail. To be honest, but but yeah. he did he did call him a dumb son of a bitch during a fundraiser in Mar-a-Lago over the weekend, and then spoke about the man's wife, Elaine Chow, who, uh, uh, which you got to imagine, man, like uh, that is something that Trump is expecting to get a reaction, whether or not it does, we will, you know, all, all, all keep watching. Uh, uh, 2022 though, let's, let's talk about that for a second. What do you see as the biggest, or what is the sense on, on Capitol Hill are the the biggest races to watch? Oh, the biggest races to watch. Good question. Um, hmm. Obviously, you have, like you, have open, you have you have you have different... you have open seats in, in in the Senate in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Those are going to be yeah, I mean, hotly contested. Yeah, the, well, Pennsylvania, right? I mean, because first of all, you've had a huge number of Republicans who have said um, we're not running for re-election, right? I mean, it's just been yeah. like kind of kind of 
staggering numbers to the point of, I think, a lot of Republican senators sitting there and, and recognizing for one degree or another, uh, I don't necessarily have a good path forward. Um, the other Senate races that are sort of interesting that, that Democratic sources have kind of told me for a bit, they kind of get a bit nervous on, are the two races where, where senators who just won have to run again, and that's Mark Kelly in Arizona and Reverend Warnock or Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Just came out yeah. these huge, bruising, super expensive races, but people forget because of the vacancies, they have to turn around and run right again. And when that happens, that's a recipe for a, for a candidate or for a party to burn through so much money because the attack ads are flying fierce and Republicans have those two seats eyed because they were just filled by members of their own party. Um, so those are two of the big ones. But these other vacancies in, in terms of like, you know, these Pennsylvania and these other races that are going to be up there. Um, let me see these other ones here. Oh, yeah. Burr's retiring. Toomey's retiring. Pennsylvania. Um, you know, and these other, I think, still an open question on Grassley. I don't think Grassley announced yet, but that's still one of those ones in Iowa that people sort of circle and say, you know, what could happen there? Yeah, he, he has, he has to know, consult his pigeon. He's <laughs> the Grassley pigeon tweet, man. If any of your viewers don't follow Chuck Grassley, Great on follow. Twitter. Great follow. And the man, the man tweets in my last interview with my final question, my last interview. Sometimes I just have some fun. I was like, can you just can you just talk to me about your 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 tweeting prowess? Are you really the one sending these tweets? He says, I am absolutely the one sending those tweets. He sits there, he watches like Iowa basketball games and like just randomly tweets out the score and then things about the, the carrier pigeon. I mean, it's incredible. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's for, for, the, for, the, for those of you who don't know, he is a 70 plus year old man who tweets like a 70 plus year old man, including the pigeon tweet was that there was a dead pigeon on his property and he tweeted out the name on its tag or the code on its tag. So somebody could retrieve their dead pigeon, which he spelled in correctly which he spelled incorrectly and that is one of the most important republicans in terms of holding <laughs> the line uh as it pretends as it pertains to uh to to standing back so yeah i mean i think those other ones i mean portman and ohio for sure shelby alabama um you know these are these are gonna be a lot of big questions man and i think the house races um house is always a little bit of a crapshoot obviously because everyone's up for re-election but i think those ones and like I said, those two seats for Democrats where they feel like they worked so hard, got them over the finish line, got Warnock the victory, and same with Kelly. Now to turn around and have to do it all over again is is going to be um, – it, it could be pretty tough on state officials, I think. And Warnock will have to run against somebody who's not named Kelly Leffler in all likelihood, which will be a tougher road to hoe in my opinion because she was yeah, and, not exactly a natural. Heard, no, and I've also heard that there's no interest for – hadn't been conversations for Martha McSally out in Arizona, as I understand it, to, to rerun either. You know, the thing about the house that's so there's only I'm two L's deep. in Max in McSally. There's not three L's. There's only two L's. So <laughs> of course, <she's> <laughs> that's a great line. There are two L's for McSally. Wow. Two that L's is, in McSally. Well done. Not three L's. <laughs> that's wow. Very, very, it's a funny line. Um, I think that the, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you've covered this on your show, man. I mean, the thing that Democrats tell me they're so concerned about is, uh, number one, you've already seen it here in Georgia and Iowa, but these other states where Republicans control the legislatures, they, they get to change the rules of the game a bit. And that's going to yeah. happen uh, perhaps in in uh, a place like Arkansas, Alabama, New Hampshire, Texas, I think Florida. And so by by making voters, by by changing the rules of the game by which you vote, you have an opportunity to skew the game against Democrats. Number one and number two, man, 
gerrymandering, redistricting. That is the name of the game, I think, for the next eight months. That's, you know, Democrats need to win more. I think it's more than 52% of the national vote to even hold on to the House. So they could win 51% of all the votes out there and still lose seats in the House. And because of redistricting, Republicans will basically be adding seats in Texas and Florida, and Democrats could be losing seats in states like Illinois, New York, and, and California. So it's so much more of an uphill battle for Democrats to maintain control than I think a lot of people realize. But people are starting to kind of um, uh, wisen up to, to realize how much how, how difficult that could be. And that was one of the hidden uh, uh, things about the 2020 election, where where the Democrats did underperform aside from the White House. And, and you know, if you're if it happens in state houses, then you're really in trouble. You're 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 in especially because this is the year after the census. And that's when the redistricting happened. And, you know, there there is an elections clause in the Constitution and conservatives say this is a state's issue. So that's one of their big arguments against another piece of legislation you and I have talked about before, because it's it's been out there in the zeitgeist for a few years. But it's called H.R. One. Democrats yep. call it the For the People Act. And at the state level, conservatives are saying, what are you out of your mind? It's not up to the federal government to, to tell it. Don't tell me how to run our state elections. The Constitution clearly says in that elections clause that it's up to the states. But. They forget there's a second part to the elections clause, which also says basically paraphrasing here, but Congress at any point could sort of change that. Congress can can change the rules. Um, Congress is sort of the final overseer by which. So, yes, there is an elections clause that strengthens the state's rights, would in theory limit what the federal government can do to pass provisions that impact statewide elections. But Congress still very much has a seat at the table. So watching that federalism, classic federalism debate play <laughs> itself out over voting rights is um, one of the more wonky but fun conversations uh, we'll be having for some time. Last thing, and then I'll get you out of here. I ask you every time you're on because I'm convinced that you know whether or not you'll tell me here on the show about whether or not AOC will primary <laughs> Chuck Schumer. Uh, I, I suspect that post Georgia, that was less likely. Who knows, considering how New York state politics has become a total fiasco over the last few months. But uh, uh, what is the latest weather report there? Uh, the latest, it's it's just a wait and see. I know one time you and I talked, we said, well, maybe there's this sort of uh, this little maneuvering that involves Gillibrand, Gillibrand yeah. on the cabinet. And, you know, then Schumer sort of appoints an Ocasio-Cortez, avoids the progressive challenge. That clearly did not happen. So the, the last I know, I, I believe Representative Ocasio-Cortez spoke with, uh, it was either Politico or, or Punchbowl News, which is one of the, the newer launched um, publications down here that, you know, I think she had basically said, you know, I'm just trying to determine what the best thing for me to do is. But you look at these Schumer headlines, though, man, it's you know, it, it's a constant stream of Schumer and AOC introduce this Schumer and AOC present that Schumer and AOC appear at this press conference. So he has recognized where the momentum is, where the puck is going among progressive voters. And he is trying to make sure he does not get added to the names of the Joe Crowley's and Elliot Engels yeah. of the world who have been primaried by these progressive challengers. So I think he, he seems to be doing everything he can to avoid that fate. J.D. Durkin, uh, of course, uh, please follow his work on Cheddar. Uh, do you have anything coming up? 
You know, I truth be told, man, I I've got a really big announcement coming up, and I had to check with my PRP, and I'm not allowed to say it just yet. But oh. within probably the next week to two weeks, whole new project, whole new look um, at Cheddar. My role will be changing. And uh, I, I am staying with Cheddar here in Washington, still covering Capitol Hill, but with a whole new, um, a, a whole new soon-to-be-announced uh, priority. So, I, I unfortunately, that's the most I can say right now. But it's going to be a really big privilege to continue to bring the news w- with a with an angle of uh, of tech and finance and, and business um, to our viewers. Man, it's you know I think you would agree, dude. Doing what we get to do, having a voice, having a microphone. It's a huge privilege, and I know that you don't take it lightly, and no. I don't take it lightly either. And so, to be able to continue to do the work, especially from Washington, is something I uh, I don't take for granted. It's an absolute honor to be able to communicate these very important issues with both Americans and those abroad, and it is a pleasure to cash a paycheck for it. So, uh, uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on, JD. Uh, always a pleasure, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your move. Sending you my absolute best. And uh, always appreciate when you can have me on. Thank you, brother. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is a production of Dog and Pony Show audio produced in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. I'm Austin in Texas. A thanks to uh, Dan Newhauser. For coming on the show, uh, he responded within seconds. So uh, hit him up on Twitter at D Newhauser. Uh, a, a reminder that if you want to thank our guests for being on here, taking time out of their day, out of their schedule, it helps in the karma of the internet to thank our guests. So if you enjoyed J.D. Durkin giving you the inside sauce on what is happening in Congress, then head on over to px3guest.com and uh, uh, follow him on Twitter because he's got a big announcement coming and I think it's going to be pretty cool. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at px3tweets. Our Twitch streams are back. In fact, if you are listening to this on Wednesday morning, you might be able to go catch us live at px3live.com. You can find our newsletter at px3newsletter.com and you can share this podcast with your friends at px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. That's on uh, PayPal, obviously. Cash app is px3cash. And Venmo is justin-young-20. Of course, we love people who send us a dollar. Just one simple dollar including a uh, uh, worthy effort. He sent me three, $3 he said $1 per podcast because Venmo money isn't real. And if he said it, well, I believe it. Head on over there. Uh, if you have Venmo, Justin dash young dash 20. Also, we got a new PO box. So if you would like to send me a check, if that's the way you roll, you want to send me a gift PO box, 153184 Austin, Texas 78715
So again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715 is the zip code. But of course, if you want to have your name shouted out at the end of the show, there is only one way to do that, and that is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the Titanic $10 tier. Like these very smart people. Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Aged Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D, Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, and Neil the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy, Montana. Appraisers are awesome. Snuffies off Route 44. Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Richard, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. One more time if you want your name read at the end of the show. TakePoliticsSeriously.com, the same place where at the $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. All right. That's it for us today. I'm not sure who the guest is going to be on Friday, mostly because I haven't booked them because I'm dealing with a lot of stuff here at the homestead. Get vaccinated if you can. Guys, I'm I'm just saying. All right. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young uh, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more are talking about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about all Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.